world. So thank you to our choir. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles now and turn to the last book of the Bible, to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 4, we will be reading uh, the entire chapter. Uh, We have had a two-month break because of Advent and our 25th anniversary, but today we're going to get back into our study of the book of Revelation, and we come this morning to chapter 4. This is a great chapter. And I pray that uh, the Lord uses this chapter this morning uh, to encourage and to strengthen each one of you. Revelation chapter 4. John writes this. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. What is it that you need when you are going through a difficult time in your life. What would benefit you when you are at the end of your rope and you say to yourself, I just don't know what to do? What would be helpful for you when you look at this world which seems in in so many ways to be out of control and just keeps getting worse and worse. What is it that you need? I would suggest to you this morning that what we need in those times is to get a glimpse into heaven. That's also what the first century church needed when this book was first written. Remember, the initial audience were Christians who were suffering 
immense persecution. And because of this, they needed to see the big picture. They needed to see how things really were. And I would suggest to you that that's what we need. We all go through things in life that trouble us. We all think about the future and we have a certain level of anxiety and fear. We look at the world we live in and we wonder, what is it going to be like five years from now, ten years from now? I would suggest to you that what all of us need is to be, in a sense, transported into heaven and see things as they really are. It's a wonderful blessing that God has given us this vision in his word. None of us have been to heaven. But in a very real sense this morning, we are being transported into the throne room of God. And this passage is so helpful for us. If we're young or old, somewhere in between, if our health is good or bad, whatever we're going through, this is so helpful for us because it's designed to help hurting, troubled, suffering, anxious, fearful Christians by allowing us to to look beyond the pain and uncertainty of this world to see that there is another world to see the greatness and the majesty of our God. J.I. Packer, who wrote the book Knowing God, and I would suggest to you that if you've never read Knowing God, it's a a great book to read. J.I. Packer in that book says this, the study of God, who he is and what he is like, is the most practical project anyone can engage in. I think Packer was right. The most practical thing we can do is to understand who God is. And that is because a a correct view of God will have a profound effect on our lives. It will affect how we see our own lives. It will affect how we see the world around us. And I would also say it's not just for our lives as individual Christians. It's also for our life as a church. The, The church seems very marginalized in our day. The church seems to just kind of limp along from year to year. And it's very easy as a Christian to get discouraged in this life. But this vision of the greatness of God gives us the courage that we need to press on. To press on as Christians, to press on as Zion URC. To know that God is on his throne and that nothing will defeat his purposes, should cause all of us to walk out of this room this morning with immense joy in our hearts if we are Christians. Because this is our God. We want to look at this passage this morning in two parts. First of all, there is the glory of God. A magnificent vision it really is. And then there is the worship of God. Of God, the glory of God and the worship of God. Chapter 4 begins, and, and John looks and he sees an open door in heaven. And he hears a voice that says to him, John, come up here. I want to show you something. John is about to receive 
this incredible vision. It's a vision that is both mind-boggling and, and also tremendously assuring. And notice the first thing that John sees. He, he looks into the throne room of heaven, and the first thing he sees, verse 2, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Now, an entire sermon could be preached on that one sentence. But take notice of a couple of things. First of all, notice that word stood. John sees a throne that stood in heaven. Another way you could translate that word stood is set. This is a throne that is permanent. This is a throne that is fixed. This is a throne that cannot be moved. And second, we are told that there is someone who is sitting on this throne, and that, of course, is God himself. God is seated on a permanent, immovable throne. Verse 3 then tells us about the glory of God. It tells us that God had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. Children, Jasper and Carnelian were two very precious, beautiful, radiant stones. What's being pictured here, of course, and symbolized here is the magnificence and the glory and the beauty of God. Brothers and sisters, our God is not weak. Our God is not impotent. Our God is not cowering in a corner, wondering what the political leaders of our world are going to do. He's sovereign and mighty and beautiful and glorious. Now remember the context. The the emperor at this time is a man named Domitian. We're at the end of the first century A.D. The emperor is a man named Domitian. And and he is persecuting and killing Christians all around the Roman Empire. Imagine how, how terrifying it would be if the government was harassing us and, and persecuting us and throwing us into prison and, and even threatening to kill us because we come to church on Sunday. Imagine losing your job because you're a Christian. Imagine your family saying to you, we don't want anything to do with you anymore because you're a Christian. Imagine living your life that way. Christians were suffering greatly at this time. And, and then there's the man who wrote this book. Then there's John. Tradition has it that the government took John and put him in a cauldron of oil and tried to boil him in oil. And when that didn't work, when that didn't kill him, they threw him on the island of Patmos. Kind of a prison camp is where John wrote this book from. And so for the Christians living at this time, everything seems to be against them. The church appears to be going down to defeat. But there is a permanent, immovable throne in heaven. And seated on that throne is not Domitian, not Joe Biden. Seated on that throne is God. And his rule and his reign cannot be defeated. And so I want to say to you this morning that that even when your life seems to be falling apart, even when your health is failing, 
even when you are super stressed out about life, even when you are anxious and discouraged and don't know what to do, even when you look at the world around us and you are very stressed and distressed because of what our world is like, remember who is on his throne. Remember who rules over all the earth. Remember that he loves you. And remember that your life is in his hands. Well, there's so much more here. There's two important images here. First of all, you'll notice that around God's throne is a rainbow. Now, children, does a rainbow remind you of something in the Bible? Of course it does, right? It reminds you of Noah. A rainbow really reminds us of two things. First of all, a rainbow reminds us that God made a promise, didn't he? He made a promise that he would never again destroy this world with a flood. Now, now the world has taken the rainbow and they've used it for ungodly purposes. But as Christians, when when you look out your window or when you're driving down the street and you see a rainbow... It should remind you that God always keeps his promises. And secondly, the rainbow was a reminder to Noah that the storm was over. The time of judgment was over. And so for us, for all who belong to Jesus Christ by faith, a rainbow in the sky should remind us that not only does God keep his promises, but it should also remind us that we will never face the storm of God's judgment. Never. And so when you're driving down the street and you see a beautiful rainbow, remember God is faithful to you. And remember that he dealt with your sin at the cross and that you will never face his judgment. Second image is found in verse 6. We're we're told there that before God's throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass-like crystal. Did you know that in the Old Testament, the sea is an image of evil and chaos and turbulence? And, and maybe you've um, been down to the beach before during a powerful storm and, and, and you can see and you can hear the, the raging of the waves. It, it's always loud at the beach. But when there's a really powerful storm, you can really see and, and hear those waves. Several years ago when, when we lived in Washington, we, we went to a place on the, on the coast in Washington called Ocean Shores. And, and while we were there, a, a pretty powerful storm came through. It knocked out the power in our hotel room. And, and there was a place where you could actually drive your car down to the beach and sit there and watch the ocean. And, and so I took the kids down there, and, and we watched the ocean for a bit in, in the midst of the storm. Probably not the parenting idea of the year, but, but it's pretty incredible to be down at the ocean in a powerful storm. And to be reminded, really, of, of God's great power. And so, and so the sea in the Bible is a symbol of turbulence, chaos. And, and let's face it, turbulence and chaos are two pretty good words to describe our world today. Our world seems very chaotic. But John goes into the throne room of heaven and he sees around God's throne a sea 
of glass. If you've ever been on a lake before early in the morning, you know that, that often early in the morning the water is very calm. It's very serene. It's very peaceful. It's like, it's like glass. It's important, brothers and sisters, that we be reminded of this today. That we be reminded of what is true in heaven. That in the midst of the chaos of life, in the midst of the uncertainty of life, we must remember what is true in heaven. God is on an immovable throne. And all before him, it is calm and peaceful. God isn't wringing his hands in heaven, wondering what to do. God isn't pacing back and forth, wondering what's going to happen. He's in complete control. Now, I think most of us in this room deal with some level of anxiety. Most of us here this morning deal with some level of fear in our lives. We may not show it. We, we may try to pretend and act to other people like we have everything together. But, you know, we might as well be honest. There are things in each one of our lives that cause us to be anxious and fearful. Isn't it helpful to know that God is on his throne? And, and, and on that throne, that immovable throne, is our mighty, majestic, sovereign God. And before him, everything is calm. Everything is calm. Notice what is happening around God's throne. Verse 5 From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. This is very reminiscent to the book of Exodus. Children, you might remember that in Exodus chapter 19, right after God brings Israel out of Egypt, he comes down on Mount Sinai. And and the scene around the mountain, around Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, is, is absolutely terrifying. There's, there's thunder and lightning, which is terrifying. There's a thick cloud and a loud trumpet blast. The, the whole mountain is covered in smoke. God, in his brilliant, blazing holiness, had descended upon this mountain. And it's a very similar vision here. And it's symbolizing the fact that, that God is holy. He's holy. He's not to be trifled with. He's not to be toyed around with. He is the holy God. And if you've not come to him through faith in Jesus Christ, you should be terrified of this God because you will face the full weight of his wrath one day. And we don't shy away from teaching that. Now, yes, for the believer in Christ, This vision of Revelation 4 is glorious. As I said to you at the beginning of the sermon, I hope all of you here this morning go home with joy in your hearts that this is your God. 
He's on his throne. Nothing catches him by surprise. Everything before him is calm and peaceful. He's in total control of everything in this life and everything in your life. And we praise him for that. We find peace and comfort in that. But if you have not fled to Jesus Christ, if you have not confessed, I'm a sinner and only Jesus can save me, if you've not confessed that, there is the awful reality of what awaits you. And that is the terrifying presence of a holy God. Now, God is not the only one whom John sees in this vision. He sees two other groups. First of all, notice verse 4. He sees... 24 elders. Now, who are the 24 elders? I I think what we have here is a picture of the unity of the church all throughout the ages. In other words, you have the the Old Testament church led by the, uh, the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. And you have the New Testament church led by the 12 apostles. 12 plus 12 equals 24. And I think what's being communicated here is that all of God's people are here. All of God's old covenant people, all of God's new covenant people, all of them are here. Not one of them will be lost. That's comforting, isn't it? Not one of you, Christian, not one of you will be lost. Second, there are four living creatures. Verse 6 says that there are four living creatures around the throne. The first is like a lion. The second is like an ox. The third has the face of a man. And the fourth is like an eagle in flight. Now, these are the kinds of things that, that make us shy away from revelation. These are the kinds of things that we read this and we go, you know what, I'm going to go back to reading the Gospel of John because I don't get this. Well, you've got four creatures One's like a lion, one's like an ox, one has the face of a man, and one is like an eagle. And you go, okay, well, what do these four creatures represent? What do they symbolize? It's quite possible that that what John is doing here is he's communicating something that was very commonly taught by the Jewish rabbis in his day. Jewish rabbis said that there are four mighty creatures The mightiest creature among the wild animals is the lion. The mightiest creature among the domestic animals is the ox. The mightiest creature among the birds is the eagle, and the mightiest creature of them all is man. In other words, these four living creatures represent all of God's creation. And so you put all this together A profound picture is being painted for us here. Imagine imagine this glorious scene in your mind. There is a throne. It is an immovable throne. On this throne is the sovereign, holy, majestic king. And all around him, everything is calm. And all around his throne are all of his people, all throughout the ages, ever since Adam and Eve, all of those whom he chose to save through the work of his son, all of his people, all through the ages are here. Not one of them is missing. 
All around the throne is God's created order. And notice what they are doing. This is the second thing that we see in this passage where we see the worship of God. Look at verse 8. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. All before this immovable throne, all before this sovereign king before whom everything is calm, all of creation is giving praise and worship and glory to him. And as creation does this, notice what happens in verse 10. The 24 elders fall down before him. They cast their crowns before the throne, and they say, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Maybe you've been to a worship service before and and for some reason, maybe it was a sermon or maybe it was the song or or something in that service, your heart was just especially moved that day. Imagine the worship in heaven. We, We have here the most amazing worship service ever. All creation, all of the redeemed are here. And they are continually giving glory and praise and honor to the one who is worthy of our worship. And did you see they're focusing on three truths here, three truths about God. First of all, God is holy. In other words, God is perfect. God is is without sin. He's without imperfection. He's set apart from his creation. Second, God is eternal. Children, God had no beginning Boggle your mind. God had no beginning. And he will have no ending. And third, God is the creator. In spite of what our culture believes today, in spite of the fact that many people think that science trumps scripture, scripture is very clear that God is the creator of all things. And so we have this amazing scene This incredibly comforting scene. God is on his throne. Everything before him is calm. Now before we come to the table this morning, I want to conclude by asking you to think about how this wonderful vision relates to two things. First of all, think about how this vision in the throne room of heaven relates to our worship. Revelation 4 helps us to understand two things about worship. Two very important things. First of all, worship is God-centered. It's God-centered. Every Sunday morning, every Sunday night we gather for worship, it's important that we remember that we are here primarily to focus upon our God and Savior. Now, we all come from different backgrounds. We, we, we're all at different places in life. We all have a unique spiritual journey. 
But we're here for one purpose. We're here together to praise and worship and glorify God. Now, have you ever thought about how the architecture of this building reminds us of that very truth? Children, when you look at the ceiling, it's not flat, is it? Most of our houses, if you're sitting in your living room or your bedroom and, and you look up, you, you would see that you, you are, have a flat ceiling. The ceiling here is not flat. It goes up, 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 45 feet up. And it focuses our eyes upon what is above. And it reminds us in a, in a very visual way Church church architecture is important. It reminds us in a very visual way that we are here to draw our hearts up to our great God and King. That we are here to worship the one who is on his throne and who reigns over everything. Worship is God-centered. And secondly, worship is also centered upon truth. This scene in heaven, this scene in Revelation 4, is is not the 24 elders and the four living creatures just saying, we worship you, we worship you, we worship you, endlessly with repetition. Their worship is centered upon truth about God, his holiness, his eternality, his power. Just as an example from what we sang earlier this morning, praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise him, for he is thy health and salvation. You see that? We're worshiping God for who he is, and we're worshiping God for what he's done for us. And so this passage is is very helpful, not only in in comforting us and assuring us that God is on his throne, but it's also helpful in, in telling us, think about your own worship services. Think about our services here at Zion. Do our services reflect the worship of heaven? One final thing. Think about how this passage relates to our worthiness in and of ourselves we are not worthy to be in God's presence we are not worthy of heaven we are not worthy in and of ourselves to come to this table there is only one who is truly worthy but God loves us And God chose us despite our unworthiness. He loves us so much, he sent his only begotten son to die for us, to give his life for us. And dressed in the righteousness of Christ and and forgiven of all of our sins and adopted into his family, he now calls us into his presence with the privilege of corporate worship, 
so that we would praise the one who is truly worthy, the one who is our creator, the one who is our redeemer. And what we do when we gather on Sundays is a small little foretaste of what we will enjoy for all eternity. And so, brothers and sisters, take this vision home with you today. Go home and be reminded your God is in heaven. He's on his throne. Nothing catches him by surprise. He's in control of everything in this world and everything in your life. And go home also being reminded that he loves you and he gave his son to die for you so that one day you will be part of that great assembly in heaven and forever and ever together with all of those who have gone before us What a glorious day that will be when we come before his throne and praise the one who is worthy of all of our worship. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this vision that you have given to us, this this little glimpse into the very throne room of heaven. Lord, how... We are comforted today to know that you are on your throne, to know that everything before you is calm. How thankful we are as well that through Christ we have been brought into your family and that we enjoy now but more fully in the future the privilege of giving to you the praise and the glory that you are due. Father, you are worthy, worthy of all of our praise. We thank you for all you've done for us. and We pray that we would go forth from here this morning with joy in our hearts and with a a determination to serve the one who loved us and will always love us. We thank and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.